0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout. This week it's episode 107 and as per usual, my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. And this week I am joined by an absolutely iconic British actress who is probably best known for playing Cindy Beale in EastEnders or Stella Price in Coronation Street. Please welcome to the podcast, Michelle Collins. Drama School Dropout no graduation day for you, drama school drop out your whole course, now try something new, drama school drop Welcome to the podcast, how are we? Hello, yes I'm very good, thank you Let's pretend <laughs> that we just haven't had a, a five minute conversation about the world <laughs> of podcasting Very excited for today uh, I, I I do have to admit, i um, I I was talking to my mum last night and I I don't really tell anyone apart from like my mum who's coming on the podcast. And I was like, never going to guess who I've got on. And my mum doesn't know actors' names. You could say to her like, oh, Olivia Colman. And she'd be like, who? And then I'll go, the woman that played the queen in The Crown. And she goes, yes. And (laughs) I said, oh, it's it's Cindy Beale. And she went, oh, Michelle Collins. I really like her. (laughs) And I was like,
1: Oh, that's nice. She knows
0: my real name. <laughs> yeah, She never knows anyone's name. I, I, I had Dinah Manoff, who was an original pink lady, on for my first year celebration. And she sort of gave my mum a shout out. And like this woman has, well, Dinah, I shouldn't say this woman. Dinah has personally said, hello, Liza. is the word, stay pink. And my mum still walks around going, One "Oh of the pink ladies. One of the pink ladies <laughs> I'm like, that pink lady has a name, Liza
1: Oh, that's sweet
0: But what I do like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast Is how did you get into acting? And what was your first ever role? And we, we love a good nativity story Unless you want to flex a professional role
1: Oh, okay, so you don't mean first professional uh, role Well, growing up it was just basically my mom, Mary And my sister, Vicky The three of us, you know, matching bunches in our hair <laughs> all the time and my mum there was only there was 14 months between my sister and I but my mum used to dress us the same all the time so we looked like twins and we <laughs> yeah. hated it we hated it and then you know we'd all have matching bunches and I remember going to, to my new school once we'd moved house and we came in quite late and um, we had to walk through assembly and uh, and I could, I, well, I imagined it. I don't know if there were. I could see people kind of sniggering at these, you know, three, uh, a, a woman and two little girls walking through with these matching pigtails and matching dresses. And I was like, I got so embarrassed. And I really hated it. And oh my God, what I don't know. I just felt really funny. So yeah, we were kind of, uh, we were all very, very close, but... But there was no, nobody in my family was in the industry at all. So I don't really know where, from a very young age, I wanted to be, uh, I think, an actor. I don't know what I even called it then. I don't know. I, I love the TV. I was obsessed Mm. with television. My mum used to take us to um, the Palladium to watch Pantomimes. I remember seeing Tommy Steele and like Babes in the Wood. And I remember being obsessed with films like Oliver and The Sound of Music and The Amazing Mr. Blondin. And and obviously everything was in black and white kind of in those days. And I remember the Forsyth saga and, and just really loving, loving it. And I was quite shy as a child. I think if you've got an older sister, Uh, they always do the talking for you. And I think people always assume that actors are all kind of loud and always want to be the centre of attention. It's not always the way. It certainly wasn't the way with me. And I wasn't loud and I was shy and I was quite quiet, but I took everything in. I was a kind of, you know, I just... A sponge. I I kind of lapped everything up, yeah. And uh, I was a kind of a deep thinker. And I used to read a lot when I was a kid. But I think, and I think that was my kind of ferocious reading that, kind of made me, I don't know, I realised I liked reading, I liked English, I liked literature, yeah. and I loved being in school plays. And, yeah, I remember being in the nativity at my first primary school and someone burnt it down. I think there was a candle that, that what, was What, the it. nativity of the school? Yeah, the, the, the school hall got burnt down. It was a school called Gillespie in wow. um, Finsbury Park, that got burnt down. And then I and then I was also in another play in my, I went to school called Yerbury in Tufton Park. And I remember being in a play there. I can't remember what I played in, in in that at all. But I went to a school, an all-girls school, quite a strict grammar school. And I remember doing Oliver, but we changed it to um, Fanny. Fanny was Fagan.
0: Love that. And I
1: was yeah, so we were quite kind of, you know, um feministic in our in those days, even in the seventies. Um and Oliver was Olive. We changed it.
0: I mean, you've got to do what you've got to do.
1: I kind of fell in love with my English teacher who was called Mr. Thompson. And again, I kind of got a zest for English and, and And drama wasn't great at my school. And so I joined, uh, there was, I remember there was an, I was in Islington and I lived in Islington. Everyone assumed I went to Anna Sher, um, which was a famous mm. um, kind of youth theater. And uh, but I didn't, there was a, there was a waiting list of two years or something. So I ended up going to the cockpit youth theater uh, yeah. where Julie T. Wallace was there. A lot of people became actors from there. Um, and obviously I can't remember their names on the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. And I did, uh, we did, oh, Ian Brown was my um, teacher there. And he ended up going to the Travis, I think he was there. Travis and then he was at West Yorkshire Playhouse he's actually still a friend of mine Ian Brown really really nice man and we did Epsom Downs I think I played the granny I always played the character roles and then so when I was at school we didn't really do much drama so I ended up going to a college called Kingsway Princeton College I wasn't I was kind of academic, but then I just kind of just thought I just want to act. This is what I want yeah. to do. I, I just want to act, and and I remember at school the careers teacher saying to me, "Don't be silly. You can't be an actress." You know, is it to say? And I was like, "Well, why?"
0: It's so sad,
1: isn't it? Have something to fall back on, you know. Uh, become a teacher or a nurse or something, and and you know what? It's kind of disrespectful to those careers because they're not it careers is. you fall back on. They are great careers, aren't they? Yeah,
0: and I've came to the I've come to the conclusion that all actors have lived the exact same life. Hmm. So it happened to me. Fell in love with my English teacher. Shout out to Miss Duff. Yeah. still love you. Um, my school was not known for drama. We were a sports academy in the northeast of England. Um, so what drama we did get was very what we could do, and don't get me wrong, my drama teacher was great, still friends with her on Facebook, love her. Um, and when I was saying, sort of like, I want to be an actor, they were like, No, no, get your GCSEs. And I I, I purely pursued this career out of spite,
1: (laughs) yeah. Listen, you know. Not everyone has to go down that, no. round that, that, that kind of academic route. I mean, I think I probably, you know, I was very, my mum was was very much into education and, you know, she we always had books in the house. Mm. You know, she was always installing in us how important education was. And I think it is. But she never 100%. forced us to do anything we didn't want to do. You know, she she sent me to the grammar school because she felt that I was, I needed it at that, that point in my life. And I was kind of an intelligent young girl who probably needed to be kind of pushed a bit. And I think I probably, even if I wanted to go to university, I'm not sure that my, I didn't know anyone who went to university at, at my age, not really. Yeah. And I'm not sure that we could have afforded me to go to university at that point, but it wasn't really the thing Mm. to do, you know. Um,
0: Come to Scotland, it's free.
1: I know, let's all move to Scotland, eh?
0: Yeah. Um, leave, leave but, Boris. So went, the other side of the border.
1: <laughs> so I went to college when I was sixteen and did a drama. It was kind of, I suppose, the equivalent of a kind of B Tech type thing. And I did A level English when I was there. And I did a, I did a pottery OGCSC only because I had to fill my pottery. pottery that's mad. only because I had mad. to fill my Friday afternoon <laughs> in my timetable. And I was like, I'd never done pottery in my life. Problem was, the pot, um, pottery was in the annex of the main building and there was a pub on the way. And so I kind of stopped <laughs> off at the pub and I think I only ever did two pottery classes. <laughs> so I went from a really strict kind of girls grammar school to going to a college where it was mixed and no one told you to go to your classes. There was no bell that rung, you know, there was a canteen and yeah. it was just like, oh, my God, this is like, uh, this is a brilliant new world. And
0: skipping lessons to go to the pub.
1: Oh, yeah. And but I had a brilliant time mm. and I still George Cannell and Sarah Newman were my drama school teachers. But you know what was really funny is that on that course, I think there were about 27, 28 of us. There were only four of us left at the end of that course who actually took the exam. Oh. Everyone else bailed out.
0: That that still happens now, but people take but, the exam. But it was kind of then... good.
1: I mean, I think they, they bailed out because they decided it wasn't for them.
0: Yeah. The sold out five star player is returning to Webster's Theatre. This is where we get off by Ingram Noble and Heather Spiden follows the Moffat family through some of the most difficult days of their lives. Yvonne is seven months pregnant, her husband Philip is constantly disappearing and leaving dodgy phone bills behind, their 18-year-old son Lip is debating joining the army and trying to navigate his love life, and their dog-breeding, sex-toy-selling neighbour Rhonda is still doing her weekly shop in their kitchen. How will they cope with the unexpected arrival of an estranged family member? Make sure to get your tickets from the link in the show notes below to see this is where we get off at the Webster's Theatre on the 11th of February, 2023.
1: So the second year I was there, that's when I auditioned for drama school and I spent a lot of money auditioning. Um...
0: Which, by the way, is a rip-off.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of, it's...
0: It's £100 a, kind of a pop now.
1: And everyone thought, you know, not that I'm boasting or anything at this sense, but everyone thought I was, I thought you know I was good. My drama teachers thought I was good. I didn't get in anywhere. I got one recall for Central and I didn't get in anywhere. And everyone, my teachers were a bit shocked, I think. Uh, I was a bit shocked. Um, and it really kind of threw me a bit. And I, I, you know, I always remember particularly Rada and you going for that audition, which is terrifying. Mm-hmm. I, and also I'm 17 because my birthday's in May. So I'm kind of a... Yeah. a, a so you're always the thing. youngest one in so the So I have been auditioning when I was 17. Very young, I think, you know, and, and it was interesting. Someone said to me, oh, I think they've got their Chirpy Cockney girls. They must have filled their quota of Chirpy Cockneys, you know, because they weren't that. It, it all seemed like it was all very posh mm. in, the, in those days. And it was all very kind of, you know, where were the roles for those kind of working class actors, mm. really? And... I was really gutted and it, as I said, it kind of really threw me and, and that phone ringing, oh my God, that phone ringing and you're, I don't know if they still do that now, but you literally sit in a room, and you have loads of people and the phone rings and people just look at the phone. No one wants to answer it, you look at it and then someone did answer it and they, they call out these names And then you have to go into the, you're called into the office and then they say, really sorry, but you haven't got in this year. Please try again next year. And you're like, yeah, and give us your money. Yeah, it's all
0: by, from what I've done, it's all been by email. So like all rejections come.
1: I tried from East 15 to Guildford, to Guildhall, to the Drama Centre, to Central, to RADA, uh, and, nowhere and then I kind of just got a bit like well you know what if you don't want me you can sod off
0: yeah you can't have me I
1: don't care and then I kind of thought well I'll see I'll see how I feel next year and then I just kind of made that feeling of failure into a positive and was like okay I'm just going to start doing this on my own and I answered that hurts in the stage and city limits. I then had a boyfriend called Max, who was a filmmaker, who then went to become a very big, big production designer in the industry, Max Gottlieb. He did a course at UCLA in the summer. I went with him. We made, he made lots of shorts and things. And and then I, funny enough, I did, there was an advert at college on the wall for a singer wanted, and uh, you had to prepare a song and everything. And I stupidly did Killing Me Softly. I don't know why I did that, Roberta Flat. And then I went to the audition and later I found, and it was Malcolm McLaren. And he was looking for a new singer for was it X-ray Specs? I think it was X-ray Specs or Polystyrene, someone like that. Anyway, I mean, mm. what a stupid choice of a song to do. And then I remember kind of turning up and thinking, I know you. And I was a bit of, I was a kind of a punk, so I kind of knew before then. I was yeah. a teenage punk, and um, and kind of again we rejected kind of school and academia, and because of probably the whole punk thing, which I kind of loved anyway, which I felt like gave me a sense of identity, and feel very privileged that I kind of grew up around about that time. And I think all that's always where i where i've got my kind of love of music and and clothes and and creat- creativity really um and so um i decided not to go and then i did answer another ad and that job i did get which was for um a pop video for Squeeze, the, and it was someone was up the junction. I did that, and then the guy who was directing that said to me, "Oh, a friend of mine's looking for um, some backing singers for a band, and I couldn't even really sing, but I think I quite looked good. Yeah, I looked quite I, good I cannot at the time, sing. and I had." The confidence, I had this kind of, I don't know where I got this amazing kind of confidence and and kind of positivity. And and maybe I kind of got that. I was talking to a friend about that today because I think, you know, we never had a sense of entitlement. Mm. I never, you know, my mom never really had much money. So, and you know, I had a sassy job from the age of 14. So I was always very independent.
0: yeah
1: I always wanted to make my own money as Mm. well, but I wasn't driven by money. And I think I was driven by wanting to act and all and wanting to be an artist, to be a performer, whether it be singing or acting. And singing was never, it it was never going to be my first love, really. Yeah. But I thought if I get, and and in those days it was all about equity cards as well. So I kind of thought, well, and then I got involved in the band and it was called Mary Wilson the World Stations. There were nine blokes and three girls and it was one of the best times of my life it really was basically we lived in a transit a, a white van and we <laughs> we drove up and down the country you know and we used to live in little chefs we used to you know eat, eat, miss little chefs. little chefs
0: that yeah. is a memory And
1: i used to love wagon wheels they were my favorite and we used to meet kind of banana rama and A. lennox and all these people and the little chefs up and down the motorway we played lots of kind of student unions and then as we got kind of bigger we played bigger venues mm. and and it was a great time in my life and and because we had proper contracts and there were equity contracts I got my equity card through being in the band mm. as well which was in those days what everybody wanted because you could not work unless you had that equity card
0: see but now you can just join equity
1: yes and I I mean I'm still a member of equity of, of course I am and I think I I'm think not people <laughs> should be. you're not well you don't I you know you don't have to be but I always but I do think they are a good union and it's a shame that 100%. more people don't join them because people only join equity, it seems to be, when there's a problem and it shouldn't be like
0: that. The only reason I'm not a member of equity, because we went through all of this when we were doing our drama school showcase, I got on Spotlight so I was like, need that. Um, and then they were like, are you going to do equity? Lots of people in the class have done it. And I went, well, Equity's a union for people who have jobs. I currently do not have a job. So I think I may skip right. equity right now. When I get a job, yeah, we'll, we'll join. We'll join. Yeah. Like, but I was like, I don't have a job right now.
1: Yeah, I get that, but you know, it's for people to decide. And I mm. have been in situations where they have helped, particularly with contracts yeah. and with younger people. No, and I'm... if you're doing a tour, you know, yeah. like I did with Cluedo, you know, they help a lot of the particularly younger Getting ones. Getting your digs with and with their travel. Make sure they're not being exploited, and actually, we were we were working for a very good company. But there are a lot of companies, as we all know, because it's all been in the press, mm. that aren't so good. And people, Here's twenty quid, get, get a room for a week. Older actors, older actors get exploited too. Of course they yeah. do. Um, but anyway, so. I got my card and then I left the band probably when I was yeah 19.
0: So you were the Jerry. The
1: Jerry, yeah. Oh yeah, I suppose so. No, was I the Jerry? No, a couple of us left at the same time, actually. Wow. No. And then I happened to meet I worked for a market research company in Covent Garden. And I happened to meet somebody who knew Tim Roth. And I met Tim Roth and he introduced me to an actors co-op called Focus Management. And they took me on Mm. and uh, so, and I got my first telly when I was, I got my first theatre, professional theatre job. Oh no, actually before then, I tell a lie, I did a stint at the Gate Theatre in Notting Hill Mm. with Lou Stein. And that was quite a kind of up and coming hip place to work. And I worked with James Fleet, he was there. And I did this play called, um, and again, that was an advert that I'd answered. And it was a play called The uh, the Crimson Island by Bulgarkov, who had never, Mikhail <laughs> Bulgarkov, who had never actually even heard of, but I pretended I did, you know. Love his and, work. Um, and I always remember, so I did, and, and Lou Stein was this kind of really cool, young director for New York. And it was a tiny space above the Prince Albert pub. There was about 25 of us all in one room, uh, all in one dressing room. And again, I had the time of my life. Yeah. It was amazing. And then... After that, I did a thing called The News Review, and there was about a cast of six of us, and we'd get... It was the cast of, it was the writers of Weekend and we'd get the script on a Friday morning. It was a satire, a satirical kind of weekly show. Um,
0: Does frighten the life of me. Oh,
1: well, I played anything from Margaret Thatcher to Marilyn Monroe all in one night. And we had to learn the script in the morning, bearing in mind we never got paid for this. We got expenses. Mm. I mean, but we did it because we loved it and it was fun. And people came to see us, you know, and... And then it moved to the Canal Cafe, um, The News Review. So again, doing all these things for no money for expenses because I wanted the kind of experience, you know. Mm. So then I got into the co-op and then I did my first professional job at the Half Moon Theater, which is gone now in Stepney. I did a play Mm. with Gary Shell, Gary Holton, the director was Stuart Mungle, that was great. And that was a musical, kind of a, a, a musical about a punk band. But I told her a white lie. I said I could play an instrument and I couldn't. I said I could play the trumpet, but
0: I couldn't. <laughs> We've all lied on our CV. It's like Joey on Friends, horse rider. Well,
1: I played the singer in the band and he kept saying, so where is your trumpet, Michelle? And I was like, oh God, I forgot it again. <laughs> it. And then after about a week, he was like, you don't even play the trumpet, do you? And I was like, no. And he said, "Well, I'm just going to keep, I, you know, admire, admire you for your tenacity."
0: <laughs> I forgot my trumpet again. That's yeah.
1: I forgot my trumpet again. You know, trumpet's quite a big thing, isn't it? Really.
0: <laughs> like you'd be hard pressed to miss that on the way out but the door. Funny
1: enough, I did play the cello for, at school for seven years, and I and I didn't have a cello. And I said, "Well, I do play the cello," bit he's like, "No, don't worry, about it, yeah. just leave it. We, just do the singing." We've
0: come this far. And
1: yes. And um, and I had been to Guitar Club a bit. Oh, I ended up playing the guitar a bit. I have ended up playing a few chords of the guitar. So that was great fun. And then I got my first telly uh, with Gary Oldman.
0: Yes, I was reading about this the other night.
1: Martin Hesford is now a writer. And I've worked for Martin as a, as a writer. I did a play of his at the Hampstead Theatre called The Glass Supper. And so Gary was the, it wasn't the lead. It was called Morgan's Boy. And it was for a director called John Goring lovely lovely man who also employed me quite a bit afterwards and yeah it was kind of a big BBC one series and I played the girlfriend of Martin Hesford and Gary Oldham was his friend mm. and even then I think you kind of knew that um Gary was going to be a star.
0: Still think it's mad that Big Mo's his sister.
1: <laughs> yes I know, my, I know I know I know. Those are that two people kind of-
0: that you're like really? Yeah Really? Uh, But then it makes so much sense.
1: I did two series of a sitcom called Running Wild. Mm. Um, I did uh, quite a lot of plays, Nottingham Playhouse, the Tricycle Theatre, a play called Burning Point and the Theatre Burnt Down. Um, I'm
0: sensing a recurring pattern here about places that you've performed Burning Down.
1: I know I know I don't know what it is with me and fire honestly I, I don't <laughs> anybody um, that has but,
0: um, any theaters out but there but I'm serious it, it I did
1: this play called I did this play called Burning Point which is about sus laws yeah and I know actually I noticed that there's a they doing the park theater are doing um a play a Barry Keith play called Sus mm. uh which they're reviving which was done all those uh, um so the sus laws were kind of in the 80s mm. and it was quite a heavy play um Kind of political and and um, and great cast and we opened and then the the night after opening night, which all everyone always says, don't they? Don't go to a post first night play because it was always always be a bit of a downer. never go on the second night. night. Anyway, and um, it burned down. So we we did one performance and then the theatre burned down and I think they had literally a two-year renovation. So I kind of, I I had nothing to do with burning it down. I
0: don't think they ever found out. I don't think anybody's thinking she's round the back with a a petrol can. And
1: I remember there were were no phones in those days, Mm. obviously, no mobile phones or anything. And I remember the night after that night, sitting in my flat and I was a bit hungover because I used to drink and um work in those days. Now, if I'm doing a play, I don't touch yeah. a drink or anything. I like to be very clear headed and I'm a lot older and I can't do hangovers anymore. And I was a bit kind of feeling a bit fragile and the phone rang and it was my agent. And he was like, Michael Foster, and he said, have you seen the television? And I was like, no. He went, put it on. I was like, what? And he went, well, you don't need to go to work tonight because the theatre's Wow. And I was like, what? Are you for real?" He's like, yep, the theatre's burnt down. And we all got together. We all turned up at the theatre, the, the cast and the director. All the fire brigade were there and everything. And we were all kind of, um, we all ordered pizzas and we sat in the um, um, auditorium and we're like, well, this is so sad. And we were crying because we actually really loved the cast and the theatre and everything. And we were all really sad. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was my experience of working at the Tricycle Theatre.
0: Wow. And that's the story of how Michelle became a pyromaniac. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Nobody give her matches. Uh, yeah, um, I
1: know, I know. But, I, but so I suppose my point is before I went into EastEnders, and I'd done a couple of films. Yeah. I was in personal services about Cynthia Payne. I did a Stephen Poliakoff film. So I'd worked consistently. I did a lot of commercials and and so when EastEnders came everyone always thinks oh you know it's you've never done it and I had actually done a lot when I started EastEnders so I think you know I I was kind of pleased that I was experienced uh, because I think I would have been a very different person if I if I'd gone into EastEnders as a complete newbie at the age of 26. Was it on
0: the bucket list EastEnders? Because you're from London. Was it something that you were like...
1: I'd already been up through EastEnders, Mm. actually. It was called E8. And they'd seen me for the part of Punk Mary, which I didn't get. Mm. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was doing something else at that time called Albion Market which was kind of the opposing thing on ITV. It was Granada. Yeah. That's where I met John Mickey, actually. The time I met John Mickey, um, who played Carl in Coronation Street, you know, mm. Taggart. Yeah. And we became friends after that. That was on for about a year. It only kind of lasted a year. But but yeah, I think, you know, anyone who was kind of a young working class actor wanted to be in EastEnders because it was gritty and it was, it was the kind of big thing at that time. Mm um but I didn't really have a bucket list of such I I just kind of wanted to work and yeah. do good work you know really uh we didn't really have bucket list in those days I just want to work I want to do good work less longer than my arm and I don't think we weren't kind of driven by celebrity and we weren't driven by money mm. in those days it was very it was a very different kind of feel yes of course and I was very lucky you know I bought my first flat when I was 26 i'd managed to save up enough money and get a mortgage which is a very different story these days i know but you know it was very different in, mm, in those days 100%. and so i remember my very first my first my second audition probably i i'd i'd already done a tv play uh it was called pressures pressures and i played a motorcycle courier mm. and I again pretended I could ride a motorbike and I couldn't.
0: <laughs> double check Michelle's CV. Special skills, double check.
1: Tony Holland and Bill Lyons had written this play called Pressures and it mm. was Tony Holland that had devised EastEnders yeah. uh, with Julia Smith. So I just got this call saying, would you come and read for this part in EastEnders? And I was like, oh, okay. And, and, um, and I'd got it all wrong. And I thought Cindy was the producer but Cindy was the name of the character that I was playing. And it was Corinne Hollingsworth who was the producer. So I turned up thinking I'm playing this character called whatever and meeting the producer called Cindy and got it all wrong and turned up and Julia Smith was there, Corinne was there and they told me about the part and I read it. And then they said, would you like to play the part? And I was like, oh, yes, oh my God. (laughs) and then they said, Do you want to come? And I was like, I need to, I need to go away and think about this. And I need to speak to my agent. I actually said that. And they said, Would you want to come down and meet everyone on the set? And I was and I went, No, I don't no, 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 no. Not at the moment, because I was a bit kind of overwhelmed. Uh,
0: that's also an instant going down onto the set. Yes. You're gonna fall in love and it's gonna be yes.
1: Well, Julia did say to me, and you do realize that if you take this job and we'd love you to do it, this will change your life. And she literally said that to me that this will change your life um uh-huh. and you know we'd love to have you and so you can imagine being told all of these yeah. things in one audition and it was like oh my god I'm like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and it was for 11 episodes possibly to continue uh-huh. and my agent didn't want me to do it because I was just up for a film uh, which it looked like I was going to get and another TV role. I mean, literally was going from job to job to job. I was kind of on a roll.
0: Things on the up.
1: Yeah, so it was a real sliding doors moment and I did it. I Mm. took it. And I took it, I loved it, had a great time. And then they wanted to extend the contract. And again, my agent said to me, I don't think you should do it. And again, I went against what he said and I was having such a great time that I said, well, I'm gonna do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't drop me of course, (laughs) but um, anyway. So, and then I suppose the rest is kind of what people kind of know, you know, I stayed for a couple of years, I left, I went back again and I finally broke away in 97 when I, I I had my daughter in 96. I left for a year. I worked, I did something called Real Women, which I loved. And then I'd kind of already said I'd go back for six months, went back for six months and I didn't really enjoy it. I felt I'd outgrown it. Yeah.
0: And,
1: and I loved working outside of it. I had such a great experience working on Loose Women, um, Loose Women, i so faux pas there, Real Women. Phil Davis directing, working with Frances Barber, Leslie Manville, Gwyneth Strong, Pauline Quirke, this amazing female cast, and I got the flavour of what it was like, you know, working outside of a soap. Yeah. And um, and I think I'd kind of outstayed my welcome a bit, really, and so. That's it, and then I just became a jobbing working actor.
0: Did you steal anything from the EastEnders set? Anything make it home for, with you?
1: Did I steal anything? I was, t- yeah. You sent me that question, didn't you? I I
0: ask everyone
1: i can't remember i i did steal the from coronation street the thing that goes above the pub stella price you know the the landlady i stole that can sell booze here i stole that that's in my hallway um do you know i can't really remember it was such a long time eastenders you know don't forget that was like that was like 25 years ago and i probably did steal a few things (laughs) um
0: Couple of outfits here and there.
1: We all kind of, and it was a big part of my life. You know, funny enough, I went back for a children in need appearance and, you know, a lot of the crew were there and they were so lovely to me. It was very, very weird going back. It just felt so strange, but kind of, Really nostalgic and and a real sense of kind of warmth and just yeah it was it was really nice actually mm. going back and yeah so I can't remember stealing anything I think they still got that bag that when I was hugely kind of huge I was huge my bump was huge so and and. Nobody was supposed to know I was pregnant. So they bought this big bag and we called it the, Sin- they, they call it the Cindy bag. So anyone who's pregnant will have that bag across them. And I had an incredibly high ironing board as well when mm-hmm. I used to iron so that it would cover my butt.
0: Surprised you didn't get a job in the Vic because that's what they did to Kelly Bright when she was pregnant. they just all of her scenes behind the bar.
1: I was sacked from the Vic because I'm not very good at props. I get smashing glasses and things. So... They, they, they kind of threw me out. Of the Would you
0: go back if they phoned you and said like, uh, "Cindy isn't really dead. She's pulled off an insurance scam, like Kathy did."
1: You know, people always ask you this. I always say, "Never say, never say yeah. never." You just don't know. You know, I'm a very different person now from what I was mm. ten years ago. Even yeah, you know, you've still got and... one
0: living child. They're not there. But, yeah, Peter.
1: That's right. Lucy's I dead. Have, yeah. Stephen's I dead. Lose track of how many children I have I, I don't I think
0: Bobby's yours. I think you've got three. Stephen, Peter, Who's Bobby? and Lucy. The one that killed Lucy.
1: Oh, okay. I right, don't yeah, think so he's she, yours. Keep up, Michelle. I, keep up. I, yeah, keep up. I, yeah.
0: Bobby Beale's mum. Fine
1: enough. I have been watching it a bit more kind of recently. Because, obviously, when you're in the theatre, you don't watch much television. Yeah. Or you watch it kind of late at night and you watch odd things laura beale
0: so he's not yours right the murderer is not yours but you've got two dead children and one that's living in new zealand
1: right okay thank you for reminding me of that
0: and your (coughs) ex-husband is currently single
1: that is true he's not there at the moment
0: he's presumed dead. he's
1: actually in my fair lady he's
0: on tour going around in a camper van
1: yes Mm. good for him
0: yeah
1: i think he's finding it very liberating
0: yeah because I imagine that he's been there since the beginning. I imagine there must be a point. Because as an actor, your sort of main instinct is to be like, I want to do something new. I want to find something Oh, yeah, new. listen,
1: I, you know, I'm not going to speak on... on no, 100%. I think Hypothetically. When you've been in the same job since you were 12 years old, mm. I think he...
0: There must be a want to explore.
1: Well, you kind of want a bit of freedom, don't mm. you? You find it incredibly liberating, I think. And I'd kind of love to give up my home life and go and live in a motorhome in a <laughs> yeah.
0: what I do want to ask you because we've just heard so much about your career there and all of the amazing things and all of the amazing places you've burnt down what would be your biggest what the fuck is happening moment
1: okay I think probably during lockdown I decided I was going to do a fundraiser for actors because yeah. I always think people always assume actors are all rich we're yeah. always working Um, which is obviously not the case, as you know, and most people probably listen to this will know. And so I I thought, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna get in touch with people and I'm gonna see what I can do. So within 10 days, I had created this huge platform of monologues. I had Ian McKellen, Derek Jacobi, Leslie Manville, Lenny James, Sue Johnston, you name it, I had all these mm. amazing, incredible people doing monologues for me. Adrian Dunbar, um, just Mandeep Delon. And when it was out and they all did all these monologues for, for free, for nothing, they all gave up their, their time. And I was like, oh my God, I've managed to pull this off. I can't, how, and people said, you know, how did you do this within that sort And I was like, I don't know. And I did have, I suppose, I I do know kind of McKellen from over the years from a friend of mine, uh, Lord Michael Cashman, who's an old friend. So I kind of knew these people and again, you know, but I didn't go through agents. I kind of found ways of asking people and people said yes. And I think that was a kind of a moment of what the fuck, how did I manage to pull all this up? I can't believe this. And we raised a lot of money. And people were incredibly giving, actually. Mm. And so I think, yeah, that was kind of a proud moment for me. Yeah. And I don't pat myself on the back. I'm so not that kind of person. But I did think, oh, wow, yeah, blimey, I, put, mm. I pulled that off. And I was really, really proud of that. And, and a lot of, you know, it was such good quality um work as well. Yeah. And, I put a lot of writers together with actors and in fact Tony Grounds who's a writer, a friend of mine who wrote Our Girl and he did a monologue for Ian McKellen and it looks like that monologue has now been turned into a play so that's really exciting that You're something like I'll came take
0: out. my cut <laughs> I'll take yeah, my commission but,
1: but Sadly there's nothing for me in it but <laughs> I like things like that happening yeah.
0: I do want to add to that and just say because it's never it's never too late to say it and it's never going to be um, at a point where we don't have to say it. If you're listening to this, please go and support your local theatres, local actors, go and buy a ticket. Some of the best theatre that I've seen are in these dingy little theatres and it's a fiver a ticket.
1: Well, that's what a lot of it was about is, you know, it's, it's, you know, oh, let's all save the West End, but what yeah. about the regional theatres yeah. that need to stay open? Because they're not just theatres, they are kind of hubs of the community and people love them. You know, so doing, I did Cluedo for, for six months, playing Miss Scarlet on tour recently, and um, we went all over the country. Yeah. So. I've seen how important these theatres are. And actually Leicester Curve, I'd never worked at Leicester Curve. I mean, what an amazing place that is. And they had a studio, they were doing a play about dementia. And, you know, it was very, the community were very much involved in it. And I mean, so many, you know, the Belgrade Coventry, so many of these theatres are not just theatres, they are providing so much more to the community and they really need to survive yeah you 100%. know and people need to support
0: them and a shameless plug on my end my show this is where we get off is coming back to the webster's theater on the 11th of february 2023 that is the correct date. yes tickets are available now so
1: we're plugging you and not me okay, and I all
0: we're gonna come to you we're gonna come to your plugs you've got
1: a lot more important
0: stuff um no it's um a show about uh, a family who are affected by the return of somebody who they haven't seen in 18 years, who has dementia, and she has come back to right the wrongs that she made when their family was younger, and that's all I'll say. Oh, that's fair. And it's coming back in February, so please come and check it out if you're in the Glasgow area.
1: Well, I do think that you know so many actors nowadays have to be more proactive you have to be proactive you have to take things I'm not
0: even in the show you're not in it no I I I direct I I like to bark orders at people
1: Uh, or or a lot of actors do direct Mm. as well you have to be and I think I mean particularly for, for me as a woman um I think you with when with age it affects a lot of women a lot of actors um Men, but not as men, not men as much, I don't think. So, you know, I've, over the years, I've learned to be a lot more proactive. I've Mm. produced a play at the park that I created. Um, I was in it, I produced it. I produced a short 20 minute film that won a lot of festivals. Again, I created that, I produced it, I was in it. I raised the money for it. Um, I am now producing tv stuff so i'm doing kind of everything you have to be you have to kind of really put yourself out i mean it can be a little bit exhausting i must say because obviously development stuff you don't get paid for and you hope eventually it will get picked up
0: fingers crossed that something along the lines
1: yes but i kind of quite enjoyed putting things together yeah. and, and producing things it's i'm not one of these people that can sit still and do nothing even if i'm doing a play you know when i was doing oh
0: are we the same person probably yes <laughs> i'm
1: uh yeah i you know I, I i'm i probably will never give up mm. work because i don't i i'm very lucky to be able to say i love what i do mm. and i also get paid for what i do and i know a lot of people don't like their jobs and it's horrible for some people but
0: very lucky and and of
1: course i have taken jobs i didn't like over the years because i've kind of had to being a a single mom and having to bring up a a child and i think a lot of women have also given up their careers because they've had to to support their families Mm -hmm. and and you know whatever um so it can be very tough um, in our industry, as a lot oh. of people know, and a lot of people, particularly my age, have actually given up the industry. And COVID was, a, I think, a big cause of that as well, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, loads of people I know. Um, that, Like, for example, my best friend, Heather, who produces a segment on this podcast, wrote the play with me. We met at drama school, and then during the pandemic, she was like, do you know what? I'm, I'm sick of not quite knowing where next month's rent's coming from. I'm sick of... Yeah and do you know what like i think that there's equal respect to the people that go do you know what i'm ready to starve to be in this industry and to the people that go do you know what i I don't want to starve and i I think you have to sort of be like cool you do you um and i i just salute everyone that's ever been part of this industry because i've been out of drama school since may i've signed with my agent two days before i left drama school and i've still not had a professional job i've still not got further than like the third round of an audition so i, I know how hard uh, it is and i know yeah, that it, it's... it does take time but what i will say is there's some great roles for women in this is where we get off so when it's on tv i'll send you the script
1: yes <laughs> okay
0: but we're gonna play a game now and it's called stage right or stage shite And it's three stories that have been submitted by the listeners, apart from one. Two of them are Mm. the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and have been submitted. And one of them is a big fat lie. I've got the Mm. answer in a sealed envelope, so we can play along together with your name on it. And these are my favorite my favorite things in the world. I thrive off of them. Number one, I was playing King Lear in the round, and during the scene where Gloucester has one of his eyes gouged out, we used an olive so there would be something to pop out and roll across the floor. When it did roll across the floor, one woman who was sitting in the front row audibly screamed and fell off fell off her chair as she fainted. Number two. During a dress rehearsal for a play I was in, I picked up a vase and smashed it over my scene partner's head as I was supposed to, and it smashed as we expected it to. But unexpectedly, my scene partner fell to the floor, the vase was real glass and the stage manager had neglected to tell me that the sugar glass vases were not arriving until the morning of the <laughs> first show. Number three, during one ro- ro- during one run of a show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I had to wear a kinky BDSM harness and no t-shirt. After wearing it for almost a month, the chafing of the metal had made certain areas of my skin tender. And just before the end of the run, I took the harness off after a show and the little pointy part of my nipple fell off with it wow do you know what i don't want it to be two or three so i i have to say number one is the lie purely because i don't want it to be the other two mm. <laughs> the, the vase one is so easily done somebody has just forgotten to be like by the yes. way that's don't do that today we don't have the sugar glass maybe vase. i'll agree with you i only am picking number one because i don't want it to be two or three i hope okay
1: well i'll do i'll do three then
0: So you're going, I'm going to go for number one, you're going to go for number three. three. Could you imagine, I'd feel so terrible smashing a vase over somebody's head for it to be real glass. And then
1: finding out, oh my
0: God.
1: Well, things like that do happen. Somebody
0: headbutted me in rehearsals and burst my nose open.
1: Well, I know someone in a play that broke his leg walking down some stairs and the the thing was a bit wobbly and he broke his leg. Wow. Mm. Of course. things do happen. It
0: was number two.
1: Oh really? The vase.
0: Thank God that somebody didn't smash the vase over somebody's head.
1: Oh wow. But somebody's okay.
0: nipple did fall off.
1: <clears throat> oh
0: and nipples oh! don't grow back. And you know how I know that? Because I Googled it when I read that story.
1: Oh god, that's horrible. I was
0: like, do nipples grow back? No, they don't. Um Oof. I wanna ask you about Coronation Street now. Mm. Very rarely do people cross. The borders of going from EastEnders and playing a major part, and then going to another major soap and playing a major part. Mm. Did you? Was there any ever trepidation of? Oh, I don't know whether this is good.
1: Uh yes,
0: of of course there was. There, there,
1: uh, yeah. I mean, I. I was doing a play at the time in at uh, Bolton, the Bolton mm. Octagon. I was doing, I uh, did two plays, Romeo and Juliet, and I did a play, a play about Fred Dibner. Love Romeo and Juliet. The Demolition Man. And I'd kind of, you know, was thinking, oh, I'm going to start getting back into theatre, and my life had kind of changed, and, mm. and I wasn't really kind of massively in the public eye, and I wasn't doing it. And so, and I didn't get that job easily. I think I yeah. had about three or four auditions interviews mm. screen tests I think maybe four and yes yeah, so I I had time to think about it in between and I actually didn't think and the day I got Corinne, I also got Waterloo Road it was quite weird so I wow. had to kind of choose choose between the two yeah um I mean
0: you're always going to pick Coronation Street aren't you
1: well I don't know I don't know I probably should have chosen Waterloo Road I do you think know. so oh I don't know Listen, yeah. you know it was a difficult time for me because my daughter was going in, was at school doing her GCSEs and, and I said yes, but I only wanted to stay three years because I wanted to be around for her when she was doing her A-levels and things and, um, mm. and I wanted to, and she didn't want to move up with me. She didn't want to come up, because I did say to her, do you want to move schools and come up? She said, no. So I literally spent most of my time on a train going back and wow. forth to London for three years. Yeah, because she was obviously, you know, my first, um, she's what came first in my life. And, yeah. and so it, it was kind of difficult in the sense that I literally spent my whole life on the road. Every, you know, I'd finish on a Friday and I'd be on that train going back to London or in the car. And then Sunday night, I'd be straight back. And sometimes in the middle of the week, if I finished a scene, I'd get on a train so that I could pick her up from school.
0: Wow. Um,
1: And yeah, because, you know, I was a single parent and it was really important to me that I was still a hands-on mum. So yeah, and it was, you know, it was kind of hard, Corrie. People were were quite mean and they are quite mean. They can be quite mean and a lot of criticism. But now, you know, I see it all the time anyway on Twitter and everything else. People are just... Some people are just horrible and they just want to moan. And,
0: for the sake of being horrible.
1: For the sake of being, exactly. So, you know, I was never going to get 100% people going, oh, you know. I, really I don't
0: know any me. actor that would get 100% positive reviews right now. No,
1: of course not. And some people like me, some people don't. So, you know what? But it was a tough time. It, it was a tough time. Mm. And um, but the time it kind of all settled down, really, was a time that I... Was gonna go anyway,
0: mm.
1: so you know. I suppose three years in a soap is not that long, really, is it? Um, a lot
0: of people say five years is the defining moment.
1: Yeah, uh, but anyway, yes, I did it, and you know, I'm kind of proud to say I was the landlady of the Rovers, and I met some great people in it. Mm. And and as an actress,
0: so- that must be like quite a a satisfying moment to go. Do you know what? I kind of conquered two of the Greatest television programs in Britain. Well,
1: I'm not like that. Like I said to you, I don't kind of pat myself on the back. I'm not that. You should kind though, of... really. But do
0: you never think like Corrie, EastEnders, like for Talking Sick, both have been visited by the Queen and are iconic.
1: No, I'm more upset that I don't. That I've never worked at the National or the Donmar. You know no. that I don't get calls from the National or the Donmar. Which... Well,
0: whoever's in charge
1: emails That's in what?
0: the show, whoever's in charge of the Don Mar and the National, emails in the show notes below, I will act as an unofficial agent for Michelle, I'll take a 5% cut.
1: You know, I think I still have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about not going to drama school and yeah, and not being kind of taken seriously in that world, and I probably shouldn't, listen, you know, I've I've done a lot of theatre activities, I really have, I've worked at Hampstead, I've worked at the park, I've worked at the tricycle, you know, I've, I've done a lot of plays, but I think you know. I don't think you know. I, as an actor, I don't. I don't feel totally fulfilled in my career. Of course, I don't, which is what gives me that ambition yeah. um, to go to to still carry on and, and still do lots of things and want to, to play lots of roles and want to continue doing what I'm doing. And I'm always trying to learn more and read and be creative and still earn money at the same time. Yeah. Which is- kind of hard, you know, but I love doing what I what I do. Yeah. You know, and I was it was funny because I was only thinking this morning about um, you know, to do a six month tour is a long time. And by the end of it, I was like, oh my God, thank God this is over. And oh I can have a life. And, and I was But then
0: do you miss it?
1: And today, and I was very lucky because I went on to do a feature. I did a film called Miss the Kiss with Martin Kemp and John Hannah and I was very lucky to go. And then this morning I was thinking what's the time? Oh I did we and I was going through my lines, thinking, "Do I still know my lines?" And I did. And I was thinking, "Do you know what? If I had the chance to go and do Cluedo tonight, I would do it. Hundred percent, I really would do it." And I can't believe I'm saying that because I suddenly thought I actually missed being on the stage. It mm. was kind of quite weird.
0: I remember doing my final drama school show, and I—it was never a secret that it wasn't a show that was my taste it was Vanity Fair by Kate Hamill and it just wasn't the type of theater that I enjoy doing I like doing contemporary things I'm not so much unless it's Shakespeare then I'm down all the way Mm. but mostly I like doing contemporary things that are in the now that can affect change or a narrative on what's going on in life and I remember like giving myself a serious talking to one night in the dressing room and I went you're kind of going on like a bit of a miserable cunt right now. like. But seeing three days when this is all over, you're going to be like, I wish I was back in the theatre. I was like, this is the last time that you are ever guaranteed a part on stage. Like from now on, nobody has to give you a job. Your drama school lecturer did.
1: No, but, but actors moan all the time. You know, the same. 100%. You no, know, actors are only really happy when they, when they got the phone call, they've got the job. And then we just moan the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Actors never- they never stop, you know. You're uh, oh, have I really got to be in at that time? Oh, why, why? Oh, I don't need that much time in makeup. Why, why have you called me in so early? That's what I just do it yeah.
0: alone. I I felt this sort of sense of, for lack of a better term, impending doom of the fact that it was my last time that I was guaranteed to be on stage because now that I've left drama school who knows what's happening I was like this could possibly be the last time you ever perform hopefully it's not fingers crossed I know I was like enjoy it
1: we shouldn't moan because we are kind of in Mm. jobs that most of we're doing jobs that we kind of love doing and as we all know there are something like 90% of of our and people employed in our business are out of work.
0: hundred percent. So
1: we probably kind of should really embrace that yeah. a little bit more. I mean, I don't really moan when I've I I actually love working and I love doing it. And but there are a lot of whingers out there. But there's a lot of whingers in every job, aren't there? Everyone, yeah. people love to moan. <laughs> we are a nation of moaners.
0: Yeah. We have a closing tradition on the podcast, and it's one of the final questions that I'll ask you. And it's a question from the previous guest to the current guest. Oh. And the question that has been left for you is, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: Don't take it personally, I think. Because <laughs> do you know what? This is so fu- and funny that we... Yeah, don't take it personally because years and years ago, I auditioned for a, a, um, a, a group of actors called the Yorkshire Actors. Yeah. And they were quite cool at that time. And they used to go around people's houses doing plays. They did a street car named Desire and they did something else. And they only had, they had three men and they wanted a woman. Mm. You can't to do this now. And I really wanted this job and I didn't get the job. And I was really upset and I was like, why didn't they want me? What's wrong with me? Is it because I don't speak well? Is it because I'm not posh? Is it because I don't, I'm not quintessentially beautiful? Is it the way I I mean, everything. I was attacking myself, taking it so personally. Years later, you know why I didn't get that job? Why? Because I didn't drive.
0: Makes sense. I didn't have a car. Makes sense and
1: that is why I didn't get that job mm. and I was almost suicidal about not getting that job because I was thinking my career is over you know oh my god did it make
0: you get your driver's license though
1: no I, was, <laughs> I, it, no, I, I failed I, I it took me four times to pass my driving test um but it did kind of make me think stop it yeah. put things into perspective and we all think it's the end of the world and we haven't got a job and you know what and, and actually another one would be positives always come out of failures things are often meant Mm. to be and you could be a failure one minute and then in our industry you've got to pick yourself up and you've got to start again because that is what we do in this business yeah
0: mine kind of juxtapose what you've just said but they came to me in a particular time where I needed them so the first one was one of my drama school lecturers, walked up to me, five minutes, everybody knows this story that listens to the podcast, mm. five minutes before my final exam, before I dropped out and said, by the way, after this, I think you should look for a different career because this isn't working out for you. <gasps> and that was the pushing point, And it's one of the best pieces of advice <gasps> I've ever been given because it pushed me over the edge to go, do you know what? This isn't good enough. I'm not staying here and I'm not putting up with this shit anymore. And I left and then I ended up going to an even better drama school that I loved. And then the second part came from myself was a piece of advice that how wanky is that? The best piece of advice I've ever been given is from myself. (laughs) It was, I was cleaning out um, an old cupboard and I found a post-it note. This was right after I dropped out and I was just feeling lethargic and didn't want to be an Mm. actor anymore and i found a post-it note that i wrote when i was 16 and it had a quote from some english literature gcse paper poem that we were doing and it said you were not required to light yourself on fire to keep other people warm Mm. and i just i felt like i needed that at that point in my life yes and it was like look after yourself
1: yeah and i i think people are a lot better these days at you know we because covid happened We meant, yeah, we take mental health very seriously. And, you know, it's a tough industry we're in. It always has been. And and most people don't go for as many job interviews as we do, do they? Most
0: people get a job and stay there for like six or seven years. Everyone
1: always assumes that you're gonna be okay with that. And you know, you're really only an actor when you're working. Mm. And it is it's tough not working. It's also really tough using the time when you're not working constructively because Mm. you're always thinking about, oh God, when am I gonna get that job? When am I getting that job? So I always think you have to kind of, as I've got a bit, you have to try and live in the moment a bit more. Mm. and and i think life is also about timing yeah you know you don't 100 he i didn't get that job first time round but i got it the second time round and And who knows what would have happened
0: where can everyone follow you on social media to keep up with what you're doing
1: so i am on insta and i am on uh twitter uh miss m collins um so, yeah, I have uh, the film I did called Miss the Kiss with Martin and John Hannah and Sadie Frost and Patsy Kensett. That's probably not out till, I think, March time. That's Fugitive Films. we we'll keep up. Um,
0: every, I always like to, every once in a while, I'll sprinkle something in, like okay. Friend of the Pod. I have,
1: so I have two other films coming out. I have a film called My House with Frances McGee and Mira Mack from Game of Thrones and a young, fantastic Scottish actress, uh, which we did in lockdown, which is coming out soon. I'm not sure what platform, whether it's on Netflix or I'm not sure that's coming out. Another film called Stephen I did, uh, which is also coming out this year. I did two shorts, uh, which are coming out kind of festival time. Um,
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. Genuinely, I feel very lucky because I know that you don't do a lot of these appearances. And um and honestly, you're an iconic British actress and I, oh, I feel very privileged to have had the chance to chat with you oh, and welcome to the fam. To oh, it's so it's genuinely it's all all my pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, You you were part of my like childhood and growing up and it's it, it's so lovely to speak to people that I admire and respect. And I'm very sorry I didn't come to see you in Cluedo.
1: <laughs> you're forgiven <It's> all
0: right. <laughs> but I will let thank you get back you. to normal life thank you so much
1: take care have a have lovely day time. bye bye, bye.
0: And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 107 completed. Thank you so much to Michelle for coming on the podcast, and make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find down in the show notes below. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast, it helps us out so much you don't even know. If you have a story for Stage right or Stage Shite, please go down into the show notes below and click the link to the Google form and submit your story. And remember, you can now become an official Drama School Dropout by signing up to our Patreon using the link in the in the show notes below. I'll be back again next week with a brand spanking new episode. Have a great week. Stay safe. I love you. Drama school
1: dropper No graduation day for you
0: Drama school your whole course Now try something new Drama school trooper.